Welcome to the Future Tech edition of the Finding Genius podcast. Forget frequently asked questions, forget common sense, common knowledge, or Googling for information. How about advice from a genius in their field instead? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are the geniuses of their profession. Richard has made it his life's mission to interview the geniuses of their fields in areas such as AI, 3D printing, quantum computing, blockchain and Bitcoin, and more. Don't miss out on amazing podcasts with geniuses. Review us on iTunes or wherever you listen and go to futuretech.findinggeniuspodcast.com and subscribe today. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, Future Tech Edition. I have Dr. Itamar Sivan. Uh, he's the co-founder of Quantum Machines, and we're going to be talking about a whole range of uh, incredible quantum technologies, including superconducting qubits, nanowires, quantum optics, atomic clocks, etc. I don't know how much of uh, an understanding we'll get, because I'm sure these are complicated things, but uh, it'll be fascinating to talk about them. So, Itamar, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Uh, doing good. It's my pleasure, um, Richard, to, to, um, to um, do this session with you. Well, great. Tell me a little bit about your background. How did you uh, enter into the world of, you know, working with quantum systems and actually uh, capitalizing on them to make machines and useful things from them? Um, yeah, sure. So basically, my background is um, mostly to do with quantum systems. So um, just uh, going through it chronologically. So um I, so my master's thesis already, um, which I did in Oxford University, was in, in uh, quantum optics and physics of, uh, of cold atoms, um, which has much applications uh, today in quantum computing. Um, and in my PhD, I worked on um, quantum electronics um, and what we call topological quantum computing. Um, and, uh, so basically mo most of, mo most of my background is, is quantum, you know, quantum physics, quantum computing, um, and, um, these sort of things. And also, um, in my background, so I also founded and managed the entrepreneurship program of the Weizmann Institute. That's where I did my, my PhD. Um, so in a way, <laughs> Uh, kind of uh, answering your question in full. So my, my background, you know, contains quantum, quantum um, computing and entrepreneurship. So that, then there you go. You know, what, what else could I, could I do but found a, um, a quantum computing startup, right? Do you have a pretty coherent background in uh, the quantum world, right? Bad joke. <laughs> okay. And, and of the, um, the quantum machines that, and, and of the, uh, in your bio, okay, so I see um, things like, uh, let's see, superconducting qubits, nanowires, quantum optics, et cetera, atomic clocks. Wh which of these things would be the easiest to start the discussion, you know, for a lay person to get a grasp on how they work and what the, what the item is trying to do? So, um, so maybe all like the, I didn't work on the entire list, um, but maybe this list is, is of the things that, you know, the founding team of, of QM have worked on. Um, so, um, well, let's pick um, instead, what, what are you working on right now that you're just having a great time and, a uh, you know, working on what's your project right now, your main project that you're in charge of that is really fascinating you. Let, let's get into the facets of it. So basically at QM, we develop, 
um, what we call the quantum orchestration platform, which is um, a hardware and software system that allows to run um, extremely complex algorithms on quantum processors. Um, that's the major thing that we're, we're doing here at the company. Um, and one of the interesting things is that um, even though, you know, we could kind of um, take a deep dive into a particular um, um, quantum system and talk about its bits and bytes, um, the, the platform that we're developing over here is in fact agnostic to the quantum, um, you know, to the quantum device. And in fact, it can be, the technology can be leveraged to um, running algorithms on pretty much any quantum processor um, or by the way, quantum system. Um, and that's, that's, that's mostly what we're doing. So what's special or necessary about software that runs quantum systems versus uh, traditional classical systems? So, okay, so that's that's a great question. So, so first of all, I, I think that the most important thing to, to stress is, is, is kind of the stack of the quantum computer, okay? Um, which is very, very different from a classical computer, okay? So a classical computer is, is, is I'm, I'm sure you and your audience know, um, is, you, you know, you can break it down very, very roughly into two layers, that's enough, um, which are the hardware and the software, okay? And that's different in, 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 in the following sense from, from a quantum computer, which is um, you, you can regard the stack as having three layers, three main layers, which is quantum hardware, classical hardware, and software, okay? So fundamentally in a quantum computer, we have three, three layers. And uh, what we develop here at QM is the classical hardware layer and the software layer of the quantum computers, of, of quantum computers. Um, and that is essential because the um, quantum layer of the quantum computer, which is, you know, it's the heart of the quantum computer, of course. Um, one of the most interesting things about it is that it contains um, um, all the quantum information or the quantum data, but it doesn't contain the logics of the, um, of the computer, but rather the logics or the algorithmics of the uh, computer are um, controlled or orchestrated from classical systems, from classical hardware and classical software. Um, and that's something uh, very, very important, um, which, uh, which is also the, you know, the, um, um, the reason why we started the company. Yeah, I know at some point we'll run into proprietary things you can't say. That's okay. But just let me know what you can say. So yep. how, does, how does a quantum computer work? How would you describe it? How does a quantum computer work in general? Yeah, maybe one of the particular flavors of computer that you're developing you know, algorithms and software for, like what, what insights do you have on how it works differently from a, a classic computer? Cool. So in fact, in order, to, um, in order to explain how a quantum computer fundamentally works, we don't even need to go into a specific implementation of a quantum computer. I think that the most interesting part is, is the concept of how it works in general, okay? Um, and the concept of the quantum computer is based on what we call the quantum bits, okay? Um, and the quantum bits are the fundamental building blocks of the quantum computer, and they differ from the bits, the classical bits, which are the fundamental building block of classical computers, in the sense then that while classical bits can be zero and one, quantum bits can be in both zero and one at the same time, okay? So... 
classical bits, again, any information that you have on your computer, whether it is, you know, some word file or some photograph, whatever, it's all maintained. It's all, it's all saved with classical bits, okay? Even a photo that you take, you know, you take a selfie with your, your phone, then eventually it, it is saved with zeros and ones. Yeah, maybe it is encoded, you, you know, you take a photo, then it's zero, 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 one, 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 zero, zero, zero. Yeah, that, that's how it's saved eventually on, 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 your, or on, your, on your phone. But in a quantum computer, you have something very different, which is um, quantum bits, which can always be in zero and one at the same time. And this, this fundamental thing may sound as a detail, but it makes the whole difference, okay? And, and um, the way it works is that, you know, if you have a single quantum bit, then as I said, it can be in zero and one at the same time, okay? And then if you have many quantum bits, in fact, they can be in all of the different combinations of zeros and, and ones at the same time, okay? Let, let me explain, okay? So for example, let's say you have three classical bits, okay? In a classical computer. Now, they can be okay. in, in, in certain combinations, right? They can be zero, 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 maybe they can be one, 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 zero, one, 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 zero, and so on and so forth, right? If you right. now okay. have three quantum bits in your quantum computer, then they can be in all of these combinations at the same time. And that, that already make, makes a difference because, for example, if you have now um, 300 classical bits, okay, then the number of binary combinations you can place them at is 2 to, two to the power of 300, okay? There so are, the, the, the power of a quantum computer grows with 2 to the n and n is the number of qubits? Exactly, exactly. Now, 2 to the power of 300 may sound, um, you know, um, not too big. Yeah, but in fact, two to the power of 300 is more than the number of atoms in the universe. Huge number. Yeah. So I'm telling you, that if you have a quantum processor with only 300 qubits, quantum bits, it can be in more uh, combinations, binary combinations, than the number of atoms in the universe at a single point of time. Yeah. And this is fundamentally what we leverage for getting this immense computational power that quantum computers, uh, you know, uh, may unlock. What's the uh, the state of the art right now? I mean, uh, I don't know if there's any real 300 qubit machines, but there isn't any. about 50. No, there, maybe there isn't any. There there isn't any. That's that's a good question. So today, the leading teams, uh, at, you know, some of the multinationals like Google and IBM, um, they're making you know huge efforts and huge progress. They they have amazing teams, and they have now. Um, um, some 50 qubits processors. So um, IBM declared their, their 50 plus uh, qubit processor. Um, Google declared their 70 plus qubit processor. Th these guys are advancing uh, pretty rapidly. And um, we do anticipate that the, the numbers will grow uh, since the, they are putting more and more resources into, into the field. Um, and you see new players going into the field like Amazon, for example. Um, and of course, there's Microsoft, which are highly involved. Um, and, um, and, and, and going back to the previous point, you see, since this is an exponential process, then, for example, if we go from 50 to, to, um, to 100, this is not twice. This is, <laughs> this is much, much more. Yeah, this is two, two to, the, to the power of 50. Yeah? Um, just to so, give you a sense, for example, two to the power of 60 is more more transistors than you have, more than the number of transistors you have on Earth. Wow, okay. So what's the focus right now? Is it to make a more robust, you know, a 50 qubit machine? Or is it just this, this race for the sake of more qubits 
you know, stable or not stable. The race is now on on multiple axes. Um, the main race is on expanding the quantum processors into being in, into for them to be bigger and more stable. Um, the and I'll make it clear. So the holy grail of quantum computers is is thousands of extremely stable. Um, let's call it uh, flawless, or as we call it technically, um, um, fault-tolerant quantum bits. So thousands of fault-tolerant quantum bits, okay? which we call it, th- this is what we would call a fault-tolerant quantum computer. This is the holy grail. In, but, in a quantum computer, is each qubit physically somehow isolated from the others? Or, or do you have a system where you have, uh, you know, I don't know, all the qubits in the same area that are all uh you know undergoing quantum effects at the same time like what would the system look like a would it be a honeycomb of of individual qubits housed separately isolated each so yeah so that's a good question um and in fact the qubits um, must be um in the proximity of one another um they cannot be isolated from one another because you need them to interact you cannot get the competition of power if they do not interact Okay. Um, but this is also, why is it a good question? Because this is also the challenge, okay? Because once you let them, uh, once you put them one next to the other, the system becomes noisier and harder to control, yeah? And um, so this is kind of the, the, the th- this is the biggest challenge. So for example, the, the, the biggest challenge is that uh, there is a very, very high error rate Errors occur very, very rapidly in quantum processors, okay, to quantum bits. Now, in principle, now in theory, you could do what you suggested, okay, which is completely isolate qubits, yeah. But once they're completely isolated, you cannot run algorithms on them, yeah, and you cannot couple them to other qubits. And that's kind of the, the paradox, yeah. On the one hand, you want them to be fully isolated. On the one hand, on the second hand, you want them to be um, highly coupled. Um, and, and close to one another. Um, so Google, for example, had some um, some nice breakthroughs on, in, in, in this venue, which is what we call uh, dynamic decoupling, and others are pursuing that as well, which is simply um, kind of controlling, you know, you let them be isolated when, when you don't run um, any um, operations on them, but you let them be connected when you want them when you want to run operations on them. Yeah, you do it dynamically. So, for example, now I want to run an operation on on, on two two of my qubits. Then you know I dynamically I let them be in in, in interaction. Then I operate them, and then I, I dynamically stop the interaction. So, what what are you using to make? Well, not you, but what do companies use to make qubits? Are they atoms? Are they electrons? And what are they using about them? What's, what's the entanglement? Is it the spin? Is it, I, I, I mean, some of the fundamentals, how does a qubit work? Yeah. So, so yeah. So the thing is that there are many different implementations for qubits. Um, like there, there isn't yet the, what we call, you know, the, uh, the silicon transistors of, uh, the silicon transistor of, of, of classical processing. Yeah. Um, you know, in classical computers, the majority, I mean, is, is, is based on silicon uh, transistors, right? Um, but we don't have such a, 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 a platform uh, which is um, known to be um, the leading platform for, you know, for future quantum computers, but rather there are many proposals. Um, so the one who is um, leading today, 
is, for example, superconducting qubits, which is based on, um, on aluminum. Um, these are microcircuits um, um, which are fabricated with lithography um, based on aluminum. Um, there are other implementations, um, for example, um, trapping single atoms. Um, so, for example, if you take, um, so you need to imagine this. So, if you imagine, for example, a small uh, vacuum uh, vacuum chamber, okay, like a size of, um, um, you know, 30 centimeters on 30 centimeters, okay, th th on, uh, on 30 centimeters. Um, and inside you place, um, you have a laser, okay, a laser beam, and the laser beam would then trap, for example, 20 single atoms, let's say ytterbium atoms or rubidium atoms, which are then in vacuum trapped one next to the other in a row. Okay, so then you have these 20 atoms in vacuum trapped one next to the other, and then you use each, you employ each of them as a qubit. Yeah, so this is an example. And for example, so and then you have, um, uh, you also have uh, ones which are based on silicon, um, and uh, also ones which are based on, on diamonds, so defects, single atom defects in diamonds, um, and so on. And in the, 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 the nice thing that is that they are always they they always need to be maintained in some extreme in extreme um, conditions. Okay, so for example, you need to have extremely high vacuum uh, in in the case of you know these trapped atoms that I mentioned, or for example, the implementations that rely on silicon or on um, aluminum. Uh, they need to be in very very low temperatures, so 10 millikelvin. Um, above the absolute zero. So that would be like uh, in Celsius, more or less, you know, mi minus 273 degrees. Um, so ext extreme conditions, they, they, they have to suffer. Okay, I gotcha. Um, <clears throat> so what are, what are some of the trade-offs between the different systems that you see out there? Are there pretty significant ones? As you said, everyone's trying to find an ideal or a systematized implementation of a qubit. But are you seeing some are a lot more robust than others, or what's the what's the standard right now? So the, most of the trade off trade offs are to do with, um, in fact, what we discussed earlier, which is the trade off between how isolated the the qubits are and how easy it is to interact with them. Okay. So for example, you have some implementations which have very very good isolation and therefore a, a much lower error rate. But on the other hand, it, it takes much more more time to interact with the qubits. Um, so this is this is one 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 uh, one type of trade-offs, um, and the other one is of course scalability. So maybe you can have a very very good uh, 200 qubit processor. So you don't no one has it now, but maybe in in, in two years or 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 even less. But then the, the next question would be, okay, how do we scale it up to 2,000 or 20,000 later on? Um, so these are the the main the, the main uh, differentiators between these implementations. How much time do you have to perform a calculation? You know, I would think that time is of the essence, and it's very difficult to keep you know the qubits okay. in the state needed to do a calculation. Oh yeah. So for example, if we talk about um, what we call superconducting qubits, which um, are those qubits based on aluminum um, and which um, are um, um, pursued by most of the, you know, most of the companies, I could say. Um, so these qubits, the, the information within them live for 
let's say hundreds of microseconds, uh, maybe a millisecond, depends on how many qubits um, you have <laughs> in the processor. Um, and so, and this is, as you said, this is the time, this is your, this is your window, time window for running the algorithm. So within these hundreds of microseconds, you need to finish everything. Yeah. So um, I'm not sure if I'm going to say this right, but if you have a lot of qubits and you want to do a massive calculation, I would guess you'd have to keep the initial data set, you know, in classical circuitry, feed it into the qubit system, get, you know, the answers out and put it back into the classical circuitry. Is there any problem in storing the amount of data needed or, you know, the in and out of interacting with the qubits? Is it easy to put the data in to start the calculation, but hard to get it out, or vice versa? Um, so <clears throat> generally speaking, this is, this is a big challenge. Um, and I think that the, 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 the fundamentally this challenge comes from the, the fact that, um, as we said earlier, there, there is an exponential difference in complexity between the quantum system and the classical system that needs to um, operate it, or as you say, you know, it needs to send data, it needs to get data, and so on and so forth. Yes. Um, so just, you know, going back to the numbers we, we had previously. So for example, if you have 300 qubits, um, then you would need, or let's take even a small number. If you have 60 qubits, if you have a 70 qubits in your processor, yeah, there's no computer on earth that would be able to describe this amount of information ever. There's not going to be in uh, such a computer ever. Um, so <laughs> fundamentally, this is a huge challenge. You're, you're running an algorithm on, on, on a processor that, you know, you, you cannot... You cannot even describe the, on, on your classical machines the information you, you put in, you load into it, or you get from it. Yeah, um, It induces many, many additional um, um, uh, challenges like verification of quantum uh, processors. So, for example, let's say you ran an algorithm, okay? You get a result. Is it easy to verify that the result is correct? In many cases, no, yeah, because you... You, you, you couldn't solve it with a different system, so you, you cannot make sure it's correct, yeah? Um, where, do the, uh, where do errors come from? What does an error look like? So the errors come from um, interactions with the qubits with one another and with their environment. So the, the thing is that um, um, qubits are extremely fragile, extremely fragile. One of the, 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 the most famous examples is, is, is to, um, um, to, to use the analog of, of, of let's say, uh, a coin, okay? Um, so a, a bit, a classical bit, you can think of it as, so we said it's, it's either zero or one, you can think of it as, as a coin that you put on your table, okay? So you put it on the table, you put it um, uh, face, uh, face up, um, and it's not so susceptible, right? I mean, even if you kind of, um, you, know, you know, jump on the table, um, it, 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 is, it is not likely to flip, right? But then, for example, imagine that you're taking this coin and you're putting it in, in, in air, okay? Like in floating in somehow, you know, floating in air, okay? Now you can imagine that even if there is the slightest wind next to it, it will start diverging, right? From its initial position. Right. Right? Like if it's on its edge, you say, is it head or tails? Where it's, it's kind of both until it moves in one direction. Exactly, exactly. Um, if it's held in air, you know, there's, <laughs> gravity does not, the, 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 does not force it to be, you know, in, 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 uh, on one side, 
then it's enough that there is a little bit of, you know, wind next to it. And, you know, it just starts, it, it gets a slight angle. Yeah. And this okay. angle is an error. For example, I put it in a certain um, direction, like uh, um, um, uh, face um, up. And then, you know, there's a slight wind and it starts diverging just by one angle. This one angle, the one, one degree. Yeah. This one degree could be a complete loss of information. Yes. And this is exactly the, the problem with quantum bits. The, the, this is the analog to quantum bits. The, these, these, um, the quantum bits are, in fact, analog. Yes, they don't have to be either zero or one. They can be in any angle. So they're very susceptible to small things happening next to them. And these small things are, in fact, um, electromagnetic waves. So typically RF, radio frequency, um, radio frequency radiation um, um, uh, next to them. Um, which uh, uh, causes them to diverge um, from their initial position or their, um, you know, wanted position um, and basically causing errors. So if I have um, a 50-qubit machine, why can't I have a 51-qubit one or a 100 one? Like, why is there, I mean, is there a different complexity in just having one more qubit or two more when you're at a stage of where you have 50 or 100 of them? So you can, I mean, okay, you, you can, if you do, you can add them. Yeah, you can, if you have, you know, a, you know, a silicon substrate and you put little qubits from aluminum on it, you know, you can put thousands, yes? But each one of them adds more noise to the system. This kind of RF noise, um, electromagnetic uh, um, um, radiation uh, noise. Um, they, they, they interact with each other, which is causing additional errors um, and so it is in fact um, every bit is, is challenging. Yeah, are there certain numbers of qubits that are more stable than others? Like I've never heard of a, an 89 qubit machine or a 33 qubit machine. Are there certain even numbers are better or you know are there ranges of qubits for some reason that are problematic? You know let's say like a, the 60 to 75 range for some reason is just unstable and then it gets stable again once you get to 80 and beyond does any of that happen um nothing i know of okay when hmm. i mean when you speak to companies do they tell you well we have a um, you know a a 94 to 110 qubit machine but it depends on the day or they just give you one number i guess it's just a, a strange question but you know the idea no it's a good up. question the th but the, the answer is that they have many they have many types because even those who have you know tens of qubits, they have systems with, you know, with maybe 10 and systems with maybe even just one because they investigate them. They investigate two qubit systems in order to then later implement them into the bigger ones. Yeah. So. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Are there, are there certain geometries that seem to be favorable or arrangements? You know, once you get up into the, you know, 10 qubits and above, are there certain geometries that work better for stability? versus, you know, now, 50 qubits or 100? Yeah, that's a good question. And there are many architectures. Um, the geometry is part of the architecture and there are many uh, different architectures. I don't think I can say which, if there is a good architecture, each one, you know, you know, each company or each uh, uh, team is pursuing, a, you know, a different um, geometry and architecture. Um, so, you know, maybe in, maybe in 10 years we'll be able to, to answer. One second. So what are some of the elements that you're trying to optimize about, uh, you know, and improve about quantum computers, specifically AQM? So basically, um, so you see, you have the quantum processors, which have 
this um, promise for immense competition of power, but in order to realize their potential, you need extremely advanced classical system. And for example, even today you have quantum processors, as we said earlier, but even today we cannot realize the potential of the quantum processors that there are. Yeah, say for example, you have a 30 qubit processor, to even today you cannot realize their potential. It's potential, okay? And we provide systems that allows anyone who is developing quantum processors to realize their potential of their quantum processor, whether they have, you know, two qubits, they have 20, and even when they will have 200. Yeah, when we someone, are, when, a, when a company says right now, oh, we have a 50 qubit machine, does that mean they're really getting that much performance out of it? Or is it very inefficient? No, when, when the company say they have 50 qubit machine, they have 50 qubit machine, which is working very, very nicely. Um, as I said the, in the beginning, the, you know, all of the big teams are advancing at an extremely fast pace um, and doing an amazing job. Um, but there is no doubt that, you know, there are many, you know, every layer in the stack, if you improve it, can allow you to do more. Yeah. So we provide the classical systems that allow you to do more with any quantum processor that you may have. And what are some of the problems that you think um, quantum computers will be uniquely identified or able to, to solve? That our system is allowed to, to solve? Or that quantum well, to, computers yeah, in general will, will allow to solve? First in general, and then with your specific uh, improvements in implementation, <laughs> I guess same problems, just you know, just better. But you know, what, what problems in general do quantum computers uh, look like they'll be better to solve? So that's that, that's a, a, a good question and not, not an easy one because there is, there's the question of not only what, but also when. And the thing is that, you know, quantum computers will begin being useful hopefully in the next couple of years and they will start um, impacting some industries through, you know, running um, some algorithms extremely fast. And then farther down the line, um, you know, the, the scope of algorithms that they will be able to run will, you know, will, will, um, uh, will become uh, um, wider and wider. So on the short term, things like um, um, simulations of uh, molecular processors or uh, chemical processors, uh, processes um, will likely be run um, very efficiently, very well, by quantum computers once we reach the few hundreds of qubits um, um, in, in a quantum computer. Um, and on the uh, longer run, the, 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 the scope of things that will be, will be run by quantum computers, can one can only imagine it would be um, probably immense. Um, as an example, so one of, the, one, one of the promises is that quantum computers may impact things like uh, machine learning and AI. Yeah, because there are, there are many algorithmics um, that we we use very often in in machine learning that could theoretically be run extremely faster on quantum computers, and so in, uh, in 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 a few years' time, um, I believe that the, over there in, in in machine learning applications, the the the, um, the biggest disruption will will, will arrive. Yeah, other systems that you think quantum computers would be really good at modeling? You mentioned it briefly, but uh, you know, what are maybe the top two or three that you think will achieve breakthroughs? What are, what are some of the top problems that we're going to see breakthroughs in in the near future due to quantum computing, do you think? 
So I think that um, in so I wouldn't name problems. Yeah, I mean I wouldn't name specific problems because no no computer is made for a specific problem. Yeah, I mean for example today there is a huge trend of you know building of developing processors which are tailor made for you know for AI, right? Um, but um, these processors are not developed for a particular problem, but um, for normally it would be a, what we normally uh, uh, refer to it as, as a class of algorithms. Yes. Um, so I'd, I'd say that um, the class of algorithms of, you know, um, molecular and, and chemical processors and simulations, these things could disrupt, um, you know, fields like, um, 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 uh, like pharma or the development of solar cells and so on and so forth. Um, and um, and then I think it's pretty well established that established that quantum computers could disrupt um, financial markets, um, financial modeling, and so on and so forth. Um, this could, there could be huge impact over there. Um, but and then I really think that the, 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 you know some sometimes people list you know they list industries that could be um, influenced, but it's not like anyone you know went through a particular you know, all of these industries and said, okay, here we can disrupt it, here we can disrupt it. It's simply because there are particular algorithms or particular subroutines or mathematical operations that we could run much faster on quantum computers so that any industry or any market that is relying on these algorithms and subroutines can benefit from quantum computing. And therefore, I think that the, the, the main conclusion is that quantum computers could disrupt um, almost any industry. And it's all a question of when. Yeah, what's your sense of when? Are, uh, I know there's multiple companies working on quantum computers, but do you feel like uh, breakthroughs are close or still going to be quite a while? I think breakthroughs are close. Um, I think that in in few years, maybe two or three years, we're going to see the first um, useful algorithms running on quantum computers. Um, and um, this will be the beginning of, of a new era, because once we see useful algorithms running on the quantum computer, um, then this will you know, lead to even more resources going into the field and even a faster progress. Um, but I'd say that it would start in, 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 in very few years, two, three years, and from there, the sky's the limit. What about for uh, everyday applications? You know, I have my smartphone, it uses you know, cloud computing, classical computing, at what point do you, I mean, what, what size of a system do you think would be necessary or useful for an everyday user so they get utility from it? It doesn't have to be tons of qubits, but is a product like that you think going to be available soon? So I, I don't think there's going to be a quantum processor in your phone, you know, in any time in the foreseeable future. But I think that people will benefit from it in, in indirect ways. So... Two, in, uh, I'll answer it in two ways. So first of all, if, if pharma companies have quantum computers that, you know, for, 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 their, um, for their use, then they can develop newer, new, new drugs, better drugs um, that, you know, anyone can then use, right? Um, and, um, you know, it will, um, it will be in the benefit for the entire society. The other thing is that, you know, there, there are many things in your um, day-to-day life um, that, that, that you do, which require, for example, extremely heavy, um, heavy, you know, competition, heavy lifting, and you don't really know it. For example, 
you know, when, when, you, when you're using Facebook, you know, Facebook is using, you know, immense computational power for, you know, AI uh, engines that they're, they're, they're using to optimize things for you, right? Um, so, so does uh, Google and, you know, many of, you know, many of the companies that you use their products on a daily basis. Um, so once we get quantum computers um, that, can, that are capable of doing this, you know, heavy lifting, um, then, you know, let's say starting in, in, in five years and on, um, then you will benefit from it in indirect ways because these companies are going to use these, these computers to optimize things for you. Well, very good. Uh, what's the best way for people to find out more about QM and your work then? So um, I, of course, welcome people to, um, to reach out. Uh, there is, um, uh, there, people can contact us through, through our website. Um, there is some information on the website, but again, people are welcome to reach out and we're always happy to, you know, to uh, schedule meetings and, you know, educate people um, about quantum computing and, and the upcoming revolution of, uh, of quantum computing. We see it as part of our mission. Um, and also in, in the upcoming months, we'll, we'll add more and more information to our website. Uh, we'll add more uh, tutorials about um, our quantum computing programming language and the programming interface um, and uh, broadly about the quantum orchestration platform. Well, very good. Well, I appreciate you coming. It's been a good call. And uh, I know I asked a lot of uh, difficult questions, but uh, you handled them well. So thank you. Thank you very much, Richard. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Future Tech Edition of the Finding Genius Podcast. This podcast is information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed. Review us on iTunes or wherever you listen and subscribe today by going to futuretech.findinggeniuspodcast.com.